This is the Horse Radio Network. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn DeGeek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Holly Kakamis from Laguna Hills, California. And you are listening to the monthly Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network for September 27th, episode 3027. Good morning, Horse World. The fourth Tuesday of every month is all about your passion for horses. Nurture your knowledge with informative and entertaining interviews brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Today, we discuss the parallels between yoga and horsemanship with Kathy Woods, as well as chatting with attorney Julie Fershman, who specializes in equine law practice and has seen some of the most common legal pitfalls for equestrians. I'm excited to have Julie back again. She's been on our show before, but it's been years. But she's always very good at explaining the legal stuff and kind of scaring uh-huh. you to death to make you do it right. <laughs> so yeah. That's Julie's job. <laughs> make sure we do it right. Uh, but you guys over at Horse Illustrated, what's going on over there? So we have a brand new magazine coming out, and it is going to be quarterly. It's called Western Life Today, and we like a had brand an new, ma- a whole issue. new brand new magazine. A whole new magazine. We had one annual issue last year, but this year uh, the let's see, the fall is going to launch uh, a quarterly. So, and this magazine. Well, we have a brand new website, too. It's westernlifetoday.com. So the magazine just hit my hands, and it is beautiful. It's for any sort of Western life or style enthusiasts. So even people that don't necessarily ride horses, whether you just like to wear turquoise jewelry or decorate your home with ranch style or, you know, any of the uh, Western life things. If you're into that, this is totally for you. Um, So it's accessible to horse and non-horse people. And if you're interested in buying that, it can be found at westernlifetoday.com slash subscribe. Very cool. It's rare that we see new magazines coming out right now in the today's world. I know. We're so excited because we know we're really lucky to be able to do that. So I just want to make sure everybody knows about it. And you picked a topic that's so hot right now is Western lifestyle. Um, when we, yes, when we were at yes. Wisa with this Yellowstone year, oh, and all of that, yeah, when we were at Wisa this year, there were so many of those stores that were set up that had Western lifestyle stuff. Um, you know, yes. it just complete cowboy. The Cowboys are back thanks to Yellowstone. <laughs> it's like, right? Yeah, it's, I think exactly. there was a while there that Cowboys, you know, Cowboy shows, Cowboy movies, Cowboy everything went out of style, but now it's back in again. So no, every time I go to Wisa, I think that, you know, there's just millions of small businesses that sell, whether it's furniture or clothing yep. or jewelry, you know, boots, you name it. It's hats, everything and the tack and saddles and everything. So it's just a feast for the eyes to look through all that good stuff. So that's what's the magazine is Yay. 96 pages full of that. So. Very good. WesternLifeToday.com. And we have a guest coming up. Your first guest today is Kathy Wood. She's coming up to talk about her book uh, that she did about yoga and horses and uh, riders and all of that. You know, I actually, I will confess, I actually was doing yoga uh, before I got sick and got the cancer, and I blamed yoga, so I stopped. 
Oh, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I, I, I did stop because I kind of had some things going on, but uh, but I, I got I need to get back into it. I actually felt pretty good. I did it at home. I, I'm not going to take a class anywhere. That's just not happening. But uh, I did okay. it at home with you my YouTube videos in front of, of me. You know, I did my YouTube video. There was this one lady that I followed, and she gave me the progression of yoga stuff. And I actually was getting pretty good. And then, you know, the whole surgery thing put an end to that for a while. Uh, but I need to get back to it because I actually felt better then when I was doing it. Yeah, I I used to take classes and it, it only is helpful. I mean, I'm, you know, you always think of yoga as like, well, you just need to be flexible, but that's not really what it's about. And Kathy talks about that a lot. It's a lot of the mental focus, which we all need. And as and well strength, as the physical benefits, and, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So all of it, you know, overlaps really nicely with riding, with horsemanship, even on the ground. And she calls it groundwork for riders, which I love that. So very good. We well, we're going to talk to her right after we talk about bath time. You know, bath time is never complete without Mane and Tail's ultimate gloss shampoo and conditioner. This revolutionary formula is designed to get even the tiniest particles of dirt and dander out of the skin and hair, keeping it clean longer without stripping the coat of its natural oils. It's important here in Florida, actually. With its pH-balanced formula and natural ingredients, this must-have shampoo and conditioner works like a dream to keep clean and remove dirt, sand, and dried sweat while moisturizing the coat, mane, and tail to prevent breakage. Ultimate Gloss also contains protein and natural oils like coconut and avocado oil to help strengthen, volumize, and moisturize, providing a high-shine, show-ready finish. Ultimate Gloss is saddle safe. So if you bathe your horse before you ride, your saddle will not slip off, which is also very important. Unlock new levels of high shine and gloss and discover the secret by visiting ultimategloss.com or visit a tax store near you. That's ultimategloss.com. Our first guest today is Kathy Woods. She's the creator of Body Mind Equines program and the author of Yoga for Riders. She leads retreats and clinics around the country and has been teaching yoga to horse lovers as well as non-equestrians for nearly 32 years. She aims to make enhanced horsemanship and true yoga accessible to everyone. Well, hi, Kathy. Thanks for joining us today. Well, hi, Holly. Thanks for having me today. I'm happy to be here. And I'm excited to have you because we haven't talked about yoga and horsemanship ever on this show with Horse Illustrated before. Um, but I have your book and I think it's just got so many great tips that people might not even know could apply really to anybody, whether they have a horse or they don't, but specifically for horse people. Um, when people hear yoga and riding or horsemanship, they might be picturing somebody standing on their horse's back with their leg behind their head and, <laughs> oh, that's crazy. It's too hard for me. And um, there's there's more than just the strictly physical aspect of yoga. So can you just kind of give us a quick sort of definition of what yoga is? Yeah, so I'd love to. And I'm so glad you brought up that point that it's not yoga for riders, yoga for equestrians is not necessarily about doing yoga on the back of your horse. There's a lot of safety issues uh, concerned with that as well. So I teach a much broader program. My program is actually called Body Mind Equine, and it teaches some yoga postures that are um, beneficial to equestrians. Some are mounted, some are on the mat, but really more heavily, I focus on the principles of yoga, on um, things like the mindfulness, the breathing awareness, the present moment awareness. And to talk about yoga 
on the whole, um, you're indeed right. Most people hear the word yoga and the picture that comes into their mind is somebody doing stretches, usually very contorted stretches. And I always say yoga is not about flexibility. It's not about athletic ability and it's not about competition. If I had to pick one word, I would say yoga is about awareness. It's an awareness practice. It's an opportunity for us to spend integrated, collected time with ourselves on the yoga mat and hopefully carry that heightened, more integrated awareness with us off the mat into our daily lives and into our horsemanship. So it's really an awareness practice. We become aware of so many subtleties. And um, I teach what I call the parallels of yoga and horsemanship, like what we're doing on the yoga mat much of that applies to our interactions with horses from ground to saddle. Right. And I, looking through your book, I think um, this might be sort of just new ground that people have never kind of put the connection together. Can you um, just kind of go over what those parallels are between yoga and horsemanship? And then we can discuss a few of them in a little more detail. Sure, I'd love to. And there is a whole chapter in my book, Yoga for Riders, about the parallels of yoga and horsemanship. And I have a download so people can, um, you know, dive into these at their own leisure. So the parallels are basically what we're doing on our mat. We also should be doing in good and true horsemanship. And as I read off some of these, there's 14 of them that I outline. I want people to think about Am I doing this on my yoga mat when I'm practicing yoga? And am I doing this in my horsemanship? So the first one is present moment awareness. The second one, the yoga mat and horsemanship can be training grounds for life. The third one is bring consciousness to everything. Are we doing that on the mat? And are we doing that in our horsemanship? Breathe through challenges on the mat instructor might have you breathe deeply, breathe into tight areas of the body when you feel challenged. If we notice what we're doing in our horsemanship, um, deep breathing is paramount, especially when things like fear and anxiety and tension arise. So breathing through challenges is a parallel of yoga and horsemanship. Going beyond the mind, energy shifts, learning to move with grace on the mat and in our horsemanship acceptance, working from where we are in our yoga, in our horsemanship, in life, staying balanced, inner and outer balance. On the mat, hopefully we're slowing down. Are we slowing down in our horsemanship? Knowing where we are in space and time. So the yoga mat is a great place to be oriented about body placement, alignment, symmetry. Are we also practicing those things um, in our horsemanship and when we're riding? Dropping expectations is another parallel. Observing the mind chatter, that's always a good one. And experiencing and celebrating the moment. So those are what I call the parallels. And each one, you know, can be explored a lot deeper um, than just what we're going to do here today. But, um, you know, I'm happy to pick out a few that resonate with you and, and talk a little more in depth about them if you'd like. Yeah, I, you know, what I just comes to my mind is that we're all thinking about a million different things at once all the time and flipping through your book and reading some of the uh, parts that jumped out at me the most was 
you know, just concentrating your mind and being present in the moment. It's just so functional <laughs> for riders. Um, yeah. which, which one do you think would apply most to that? I'd love to talk about that more. Well, I think the first one, present moment awareness. I mean, they all really interconnect, observing the mind shatter, focusing on the breath. They really are interconnected. But let's talk about present moment awareness. And most of the times in our lives, we are conditioned to not be in the present. We are conditioned to multitask, to get as much done in our work days as possible, to get as much done in our horse training or riding She knows as us possible. too well right there. She knows both of us too well. <laughs> You're describing it to a T. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, I get, what, are, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's part of the human condition, and I really think it's part of cultural conditioning. You know, our employers want us to, you know, get it, maximize our workday as much as possible. So we're always trying to fit so much in. And what happens is we actually miss the present moment a lot of times. Here's a quote from my teacher, my guru that I love. He says, multitasking is actually practicing conflict. Multitasking is practicing conflict. And what happens when we multitask is our energy becomes fragmented. Our focus becomes fragmented. So yoga, the practice of true yoga, meditation, mindfulness, awareness, these are all practices to help us to become and remain more present. We learn tools to notice when the mind wanders and we gently bring the mind back to a focal point. This focal point can be the breath. This focal point can be a word. This focal point can be bodily sensations. So just a, an easy practice that you know, people can do is anytime you catch your mind wandering on the yoga mat, you're on the mat and you're thinking, gee, what do I have to cook for supper later? You know, we've all been there. And you notice, gee, my mind wandered. Let me come back to breath and bodily sensations. You're riding your horse. You're taking a lesson, perhaps, and you see somebody off to the side that's doing something a little different and your mind starts comparing, critiquing, judging all that mind stuff that comes up took us out of the present moment. So we notice that we come back to the breath, we come back to the bodily sensations. So those are two simple tools that we can use to stay harnessed in the present moment, whether it's on the mat, in our horsemanship, at our desk or anywhere else. Definitely. That that sounds so useful. And yeah, I don't think there's anybody out there that hasn't been doing their to-do list in their head while they should be right. <laughs> enjoying their time on the horse, on the trail, you know, whatever it is. Right. And, you know, it would be lovely to see this kind of stuff taught in schools as as people are younger, because I get so many people that come to me that are um, mature adults that just start this practice now. And they say, wow, if I would have known this years ago, I would have been more present in school and um, my work and my relationships. So present moment awareness is just a really great skill to hone um, anywhere in our lives. And it sounds like from what I read that you sort of got into yoga without even knowing that you were doing yoga as a child, which I thought was yeah. so interesting. So could you just tell us quickly about that? I oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's uh, it's It's been an interesting journey. I, I often say I was a born yogi. Um, I really had yogic interest and yogic awarenesses and did yoga postures and knew there was value to being still for periods of time and focused and contemplative. And I was really young. 
young when all that came about. And I certainly did not grow up in a yogic family. Um, so I'm not sure really where that came in. But when I first got introduced to yoga and meditation in my mid-teens, mid to late teens, I I just felt like I was coming home, like I already knew the practice, I was familiar with it. And of course, there was much more to learn. But um, they were the teachings, I think, were embodied in me. And I know that may sound kind of strange or esoteric, but um, that's sort of how the story goes. Ah, oh, that makes sense. Um, so and then were you riding horses as a young person, too? Um, not as much as as and when I became an adult, I got more into horses. And I always loved horses and, and have been uh, around them a lot, but uh, didn't start owning horses till about 30 years ago and um, was noticing what I was doing on the yoga mat, I was doing in my horsemanship. So let me give a couple of examples. I would be riding and on a trail. I'm a very avid backcountry trail rider here in the Smoky Mountains. And I'd be riding and I'd notice, oh, here's a tricky creek crossing. I'm starting to get a little nervous, starting to anticipate. I would notice my breathing would become short, shallow, or holding my breath. And I was noticing I would remind myself to breathe myself and my horse through those challenging moments. Moments, much like I would do on a yoga mat if I got into a challenging yoga posture. I was also noticing the physical aspect of it. Is my weight symmetrical in each stirrup? Oh, my back is hurting a little bit. My knee is hurting. And I would self-correct. And we learned self-correction on the yoga mat. So the yoga mat is this great place to practice. I always say it's like a training ground um, or like a place to practice groundwork for the human. You know, we talk about collection and groundwork for our horses. The yoga mat, the meditation cushion, these are excellent places to practice collection and groundwork for ourselves. And then more on an energetic um, vibration, I, I'd notice if I would go down to my barn and I was rushed, I was task oriented, I was stressed, my interaction with my horses reflected that our rides or our training sessions were not as fruitful when I was in kind of a scattered, frazzled place. So I was just noticing really what I was doing on my mat. I was really naturally, organically applying to my horsemanship. You know, we have a saying in yoga, how you do anything is how you do everything. So I think the mindfulness I learned, body awareness, breathing awareness, energy awareness that I learned and practiced so many years on the yoga mat naturally filtered over into these other areas of my life, including my time with equines. Oh, I love how that naturally came together, all of it for you. And that makes perfect sense with, uh, you know, developing your line of work. And I think a lot of us can gain from that. And I, I just want to point out for Glenn, because you mentioned in your book that in, you know, other areas of the world, a lot of men do yoga and it's more of a male thing. Whereas here we think of in the U.S., it's mostly women in yoga classes, but there's something to gain for everyone. Yeah, I'm thinking um, I could so. do some of those positions and things. <laughs> I drive carriage, so I have a seat. I have a big wide seat that I could. I I have more opportunity to do yoga than the riders do. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking and, you know, of that, I'm not sure what my pony I'm would going. think about it, but you know. <laughs> Exactly. So to just to conclude, I was hoping you could share with us whether it's a mental exercise, a breathing exercise, a physical pose, something that yeah. uh, our listeners could try just to kind of dab yeah. a toe in and see, you know, if this is something they're interested in and learn more, would like to learn more about. 
Sure. I think what I'd like to do is just lead a little visualization that anybody can do pretty much uh, wherever you are. Um, So just take a moment to just sit up straight. If you're not driving or riding your horse, you can close your eyes. Um, If you're doing something that you need to have your eyes open, just sort of gently focus them. So if you can, close the eyes. Take a moment to become aware of your spine and gently straighten the spine. Roll your shoulders up, back, and then drop them down from the ears. And then take a big, deep belly breath. Breathing into your entire lung space. Now bring your attention to your jaw and notice if you are clenching your jaw even the slightest bit. And if you are, consciously relax and release the jaw. That is one of the places we first store tension. So by releasing the jaw, we have released much of the upper body tension as all of our parts are interconnected. And let us add a little visualization now to the nice deep breaths. As you breathe out, see and feel yourself releasing tensions and negativities, physical, mental, emotional tensions and negativities. See and feel them sailing out with the exhalation. As you breathe in, see and feel yourself filling with peace and ease and relaxation on every level of your being. Breathing out tensions and negativities and breathing in peace and ease and relaxation. And do that for one or two more breaths. Come back to the moment. Breathe naturally. Check in with yourself and then allow your eyes to open and move into your day in a relaxed rhythm. Holly, I won't be here the rest of the show. I'm going to go to take a nap now. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, the very first thing was sit up straight and straighten your spine. I realized I was slumped over like a little hunchback. So Right. And, you know, a little bit of this stuff goes a long way. So many people say to me, well, I don't have a whole hour to practice yoga. I can't meditate for 15 minutes or 30 minutes. But, you know, the quality is more important than the quantity. I would rather see people do these little mini meditations, mini brain breaks. It's like hitting a reset button or, you know, go down to your barn and and while your horse is um, eating his grain or you're tacking up or uh, bring in some of these mindfulness exercises or do a few stretches before you mount. Um, As a trail rider, uh, riding for hours on end in the Smoky Mountains, I like to get off my horse and do a few stretches and then I mount up again and I notice my horse is moving better because I'm not restricting his movements with my bodily tensions. I feel better. So there's so many of these little bitty practices that you can just interweave wherever you can. And there's so much of that in my book. And I hope to be doing more work on creating mini meditations that uh, equestrians can download, uh, just like we just did, using them before a ride or before an event. Um, So there's so many tools out there for equestrian support and to become a more mindful equestrian. And your horsemanship will change, your interaction with your horse changes, your interaction with the world around you begins to change as you become more self-aware and present. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll put a link to your book and your website in the show notes for anyone that wants to learn more. Thanks so much for joining us, Kathy. 
Holly, thank you so much, Glenn. It was my great pleasure to be a guest and um, happy trails and namaste. Equus Pant is the equestrian performance underwear that slims and sculpts your figure while wicking away sweat and keeping you dry, preventing uncomfortable rubbing and chafing in and out of the saddle. See why riders of all levels and disciplines are raving about this new made-in-the-USA underwear. Get 10% off today at equuspant.com. Just use the code HRN, and that's E-Q-U-E-S-P-A-N-T-E.com. And coming up next is Julie Fershman, who is a lawyer, been on the show before. Her law practice crosses all equine breeds and disciplines and serves all types of businesses in the horse world. The author of four books, her most recent is Equine Law and Horse Sense, published by the American Bar Association in 2019. It has won four national awards, including first place at the 2020 American Horse Publications Equine Media Awards. Julie, welcome back to the show. It's good to talk to you again. Well, great to talk to you, too. So, Julie, you're our resident law person, uh, and we talk about things that scare the crap out of people. That's our job here. So, uh, today we're talking about verbal versus no-contract horse sales. So, have a contract or don't have a contract when you're selling a horse. And Let's take this from the seller's point of view at this point, because I know there's two points of view here, right? But let's start with the seller and talk about the pitfalls of not having a contract. Sure. I think it benefits the seller to have a contract for a couple reasons. For one thing, nobody likes lawyers. Nobody wants to hire a lawyer, and you don't need to have a lawyer for a simple sale agreement, the very least of which is this is the horse. You describe it. You tell who the seller is. You talk about the amount that was received and the date of sale. Uh, That can be useful because for liability purposes, if somebody gets hurt from that horse, you don't want to be listed as an owner. You want to be away from it so that some uh, injury lawyer won't point to you and say, aha, you're still the owner. You entrusted the horse to someone and now we have an injured person. So it benefits you to have something in writing and you can whip that out if you need to, to show that you don't have ownership. Now, also, well, of course, you, it, can dis- you can disclaim liabilities. Well, ah, there you go. Well. That was my next question. Is it important to have in there that that uh, you you're not liable that the horse is being sold as is, you know, so like a car? I think that's a great thing for a seller to have. Now, there are some exceptions in some states. Probably most, if there is a valid claim of fraud, that as is clause may be overridden. On the other hand, it takes a pretty serious claim of fraud, uh, and it takes a lot of evidence. So absolutely, that as-is clause is a great thing to put in if you're a seller. What else should be in a basic selling contract? Well, one of the odd things is people have actually said to me over the years that they got a horse that came off the trailer that wasn't the one they bought. Uh, so if you're the seller and you want to make clear this is the horse you're selling, put some more description in on it. If it's registered, put the registration information on it. Sometimes even the height, age, things like that. Sellers can put that in the document to avoid any misunderstandings from the buyer. Uh, those are a must. I also like a contract that says, here's the state that applies. And the reason is, <laughs> again, people hate lawyers. I don't want somebody to call me and say, I have a budget, I want you to fight the case, but then you end up blowing the budget on a stupid little technicality, which is what state law applies and where can we fight the dispute. Sometimes you can put that in your contract, and that helps save a lot of money and fees and saves a lot of guesswork. So as a seller, I would put in my state. 
I would want you to do that. Yeah. Sure. And you might even want to take it a, a little bit of a step further, kick it up a notch and say, any legal disputes arising out of the transaction should be brought in. Put your state in. Put your county in. You've now got the home court advantage. And that may be helpful. So you said you don't necessarily need a lawyer, but is there, so if I'm selling a $5,000 horse or a $500 horse, right, um, maybe I don't need a lawyer. So what's the number, and I guess this is, depends on an individual, what's the number, is it 50, 100,000, 200,000, where you, you would prefer to see a lawyer do it? That's really an individual decision. And again, let's face it, nobody wants to spend money on a lawyer. I get it. Horse people are tough. They're reliant. But then there are some states where the laws get a bit tricky, such as Kentucky, Florida, California, with seller disclosure laws. I think the laws are pretty straightforward. Plenty of people don't. They get confused about them. So if you have a transaction in those states and you want to make sure that you're complying with that law, well, you know, it may not hurt to have a lawyer at least look over what you have. If you want a lawyer to draft the contract to be fully compliant with the law, great. But at the very least, a lawyer can take a look at it. Or could you, if you sell a lot of horses, just have a lawyer do a template template for you? I, yes. However, one thing I've always said is when you are selling a horse and when you are buying a horse, two different contracts. So I'm a big believer in a seller sale template that can be modified from transaction to transaction. But the minute that seller switches and becomes the buyer, well, they um, they may not want that as-is clause. They may want representations about the horse, maybe how often the horse gets joint injections, maybe a lameness history on the horse, other kinds of things. It's a different contract. So I always warn people, if you're going to create multi-use forms, remember that you need a different one when you are looking to buy than when you're looking to sell. So we know there's a lot of crooks in the horse world. We talk about them all the time here on the show. Um, so as a se- I mean, there's crooks that are end up being buyers and there's crooks that end up being sellers. Um, how much, as a seller, I'm still in the seller, how much should I put in my agreement about my horse's health? If they're getting injections, all of that, should it be in the agreement so that it's disclosed and they can't come back later on me in that? When I'm representing sellers and I'm drafting these contracts, I typically don't put that information in because I leave it to the parties to talk. And when I'm representing buyers, I'm taking the other side of it. I want those details. In fact, the form that I put together when I represent buyers starts with, these are the maintenance protocols the horse receives. That's when we get into the injections. Some people say, oh, those injections, that's mere maintenance. Other people say, wait a minute, you don't get these injections unless the horse has uh, shown a history of some unsoundness. So I'm not so sure that it's uh, maintenance. So from a buyer standpoint, I I always want those details. From the seller standpoint, not necessary. I think you can leave it with the buyer to ask these questions, get a pre-purchase evaluation from a vet. And of course, as a seller, you want to be upfront, give truthful answers, but nobody says you need to put that in the document. Now, I'm going to switch here and be a buyer for a minute, and this is just me saying Mm -hmm. this. This is not you saying this. But if you ask the seller for for a document, you know, that says, I bought this horse, a sales agreement of some kind, and they say no, run. There's something wrong with that. Absolutely. I've written about that. I think that some people just don't like paperwork, and we'll put those people aside. But if the seller refuses to put in writing 
especially things that the seller has verbally said to you, you probably would be wise to walk away, run if need be, because that refusal to put something in writing, I think, speaks volumes about a seller's commitment to what they're telling you. And in some cases, that that situation is a stolen horse. Uh, it can even get to the criminal side that they don't want any paperwork. Um, so, you know, it's something, to, yeah, it's something yeah. to run away from there. Um, Absolutely. At the very least, the seller should be able to put in writing that they own the horse and they can sell it. That's an easy one. There you go. Right. Uh, first right of refusal, um, that's something that we see in a lot of contracts. So I'm selling the horse, but I don't want the horse to go to somebody else or end up in a meat market or whatever. Uh, so I put a first right of refusal. How common is that? And what that means is that I get the right to buy the horse back if they decide to sell it first, and I get the right to turn it down. Generally, yes, but believe it or not, these rights of first refusal clauses, they can get really complicated. Example, sometimes the right of first refusal says if the buyer receives a bona fide offer, the seller is allowed to match it within a certain amount of time. Other uh, provisions just say if the uh, the buyer, that is to say the person who sold the who bought the horse from the seller, if the buyer is uh, even thinking of of uh, selling, uh, the buyer now the seller will call the former owner and they will talk. These rights of first refusal clauses can get very very different, very detailed. But the problem I see is. People forget about them. The horse has been in the hands of the new owner for years. Nobody remembers the contract. And here comes the the seller who sold the horse three, four years ago, who says, wait a minute, I lost my right to purchase this horse. Legal battles can get pretty sticky. What I always say when I'm representing a party, say a seller who wants that right of first refusal, they want the option to get the horse back, uh, make occasional contact with the new owner and remind them of the clause because they're going to forget otherwise. But the clauses themselves can get really different and really complicated. So how about, um, is there a situation where you say that where you would advise the seller to, t- they, the buyer wants to give the horse back for whatever reason, they're claiming fraud or whatever. Is it just easier sometimes to take them back and resell them or Those are very complicated decisions, right? And so many things factor in. And I've represented both buyers and sellers. But when you really consider the bottom line here, does anybody want to spend a fortune in legal fees? And yes, there are um, certain state laws that benefit, believe it or not, the buyer, like consumer protection laws, possibly the Uniform Commercial Code. But to be able to get your fees back, you've got to go to the finish line. You've got to win that case. And that process costs a lot. Sometimes for sellers, it's easier to do just as you suggest. Let the horse uh, come back. Maybe what I've done in, in negotiating this is let the, uh, the seller who is agreeing to take the horse back do so after an inspection. For all we know, if the buyers had the horse for months, something could be wrong. And it may have happened on the buyer's watch. So I've negotiated these, but I've had the buyer uh, allow the horse to be inspected before the seller says, yep, I'll take it back. Mm. So these are things to consider. All of it is designed, of course, to save money so you don't spend it on uh, legal fees. You're spending it on something practical, which would be hauling fees. (laughs) Right, right. So is there a place online to find, like, generic contracts or... Well, unfortunately, I'm not a believer in the forms. People say, oh, you're just trying to make money for lawyers. 
No, not really. It's because of the state-by-state variations. As mentioned, you've got Florida, California, and Kentucky with seller disclosure laws. By the way, Holly's in California, I'm in Florida, so you just named two of our states here. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) and I'm in none of those states. And we both used to be in Kentucky. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys, where you are and were, um, have laws that do affect disclosures, and a form online is probably not going to make sh- uh, not include those protections that the law uh, puts in for contracts. Equine Activity Liability Act, do so they apply to sales contracts? Maybe not, but when I represent equine activity professionals and equine activity sponsors, sometimes I'll say, if you have a contract, put that warning language in anyway. Put it everywhere, all contracts that you use. Well, good luck finding those details in a form that you get online. So I'm a big believer in making sure you follow what your state requires. Put disclaimers of warranties, for example, in your seller-oriented sale contract based on what your state wants. And it may be different from state to state. So, no, unfortunately, I'm not going to recommend a form online. All right. So before Holly has a question for you, but before we get to that, one of my favorite parts of having you on is to hear a horror story. So do you have a horror story about, about this topic? Um, gosh, if I could distill it, I was, I litigated an equine sale dispute years ago in another state where the horse was a crypt orchid stallion. The contract said in one year, if he drops, which is to say two descended testicles, then my client, the buyer would pay 10,000 more. If he didn't drop, so he only had one and would need to be gelded then the sale price would stay where it was. And believe it or not, this thing went to, went to court. It was heavily litigated about what do we do um, when the ball didn't have a chance to drop. My client ended up putting the horse through surgery. Talk about strange cases. That's, That's a one strange of the most case. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Will it drop? Will it not drop? And yet the contract existed. Well, there's somebody that did not Dad? want to keep the horse around in the meantime to find out. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> All right, Tolly. I just what? was thinking of a horror story that I heard, yeah. uh, which made me think of a different question, which is um, my friend bought a horse that broke its leg, I think either getting on or getting off the trailer to the new home. And so should you timestamp when ownership changes hands? So who whose problem is that? Like That is an exceptionally important point. And that is another reason why contracts vary with buyer or seller. And it comes down to three simple words, believe it or not. And those words are risk of loss, risk of loss. And what that means is the contract can specify that the risk of loss transfers at a certain point. So the contract Mm -hmm. can say that the risk of loss or diminution in value of the horse will occur when the seller receives full payment from the buyer. So that means when the buyer sends that payment, check, wire, transfer, cash, whatever, and the seller's got it. Now the buyer is on the hook. So if the seller gets the money, horse gets on a trailer, gets off the trailer in the buyer's backyard, falls off the trailer dead, guess what? The buyer accepted that risk of loss. Maybe the buyer could have purchased mortality insurance, lots of things. But three words, and that's a detail that the parties need to negotiate in a contract. Oh, I like that. That's good to know. (laughs) I think risk of loss. 
<laughs> okay. Um, and then my other question that is unrelated to buying and selling, but just something that a lot of us commonly do, which is trailer our friends' horses, whether we're going to a trail ride or a show. Um, you know, you think you know your friend and can trust them, but what if, you know, you get into a trailer accident and their horse dies? Are they going to sue you? Is there some sort of agreement we should have in place before we even think about doing this? Um it just kind of occurred to me that that's sort of a huge problem that could pop up if something went wrong. True. And it's a matter of degree. What is it that the parties care about? Is it the risk of the trailer flooring, maybe breaking and a horse's leg going through? That is terrible. And it does happen. The big picture, in my opinion, is liability because something could happen if the trailer, say, um, uh, let's, let's say Glenn lends me his horse trailer and I connect it to my pickup truck. The wiring works. We hope it works. But something happens and the trailer becomes uncoupled. And now my horse is going down the freeway in the trailer. Um, and somebody's getting seriously hurt while they try to avoid it. We've got some pretty big liabilities going on here. The, the least of which is the horse. So the big picture, in my opinion, is for Glenn, who lends me his trailer, Glenn should double check and see if he is insured when something like this screws up. I, who am taking in the the horse, borrowing the trailer, I may have no coverage for any of this. So when people are on the freeway injured, uh, or maybe worse, and all these claims are coming in from people um, or their insurance companies, I think that the most important thing is to make sure I've got that backing of my insurance company. Yes, you can put a contract together about some of the details, uh, but the key is the liability problem and the fact that they're maybe no coverage, either from Glenn's side or from my side. So I think that's probably the most important detail that I would focus on, more so than the contract, and that is a call to your insurance agent. See, this is why I'm glad I asked. I thought I was a worst-case scenario person. I didn't even think of that scenario. (laughs) So that's very good to know. Well, thank you so much, Julia. I think I've learned more from you than uh, a lot of people in my entire life. So we really appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Julia. Hey, where can people find your books? Um, Thank you for asking. My newest book is called Equine Law and Horse Sense. Yes, I wrote a book back in 1996 with that title. This is a new comprehensive one published in 2019, uh, published by the American Bar Association. It is on Amazon. Uh, and it's got a beautiful bay horse on the cover. So uh, equine lawn horse sense with a horse on the cover. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate it. No matter how difficult hair is to manage, Cowboy Magic Detangler and Shine instantly detangles all types of hair knots, tangles, and dreadlocks. Silk proteins help deep condition, penetrating below the surface while restoring moisture and strengthening hair, resulting in a high natural shine and soft texture. Cowboy Magic Detangler isn't just for your four-legged companions anymore. You can use it on yourself, too. It's allergy-tested and dermatologist-reviewed. When performance counts, turn to Cowboy Magic, visit CowboyMagic.com to shop, and you can also use it on your dog. At least we used to. So, just say. And up next, we are going to tell you about our adoptable horse of the month from the Right Horse. And everybody was at the Right Horse Summit this week, so we don't have oh, a guest on. I didn't know they had a summit. Yeah, yeah, so every year they've been going virtual a little bit, you know, the last year or two with COVID, but uh, they're in person this year and 
all the rescues and equine groups are there, right horse, everyone's there. So um, they are a little bit busy, but we just figured we would pick one out for you guys that we really liked and tell you about him. So this month we've got LB, it's, you know, his brand on his shoulder. So that's how he got that name. But his full name is he's a king kite and he's a registered paint horse. Absolutely beautiful. Um, so this guy is 26 years old, but he has a lot of miles left to offer. Walk track canner under saddle, extremely smooth gates. Great for a kid or someone who just wants to get this on. This is a horse around. husband horse. When I was reading. <laughs> husband I mean, horse. Yeah, yes. this looks like kid something horse, that horse. Yeah, horse husband would love. I mean, quiet as a button, apparently. So uh, quiet it was smooth gates. That's horse husband horse or kids. Yes. Oh, and I should mention he's at Nexus Equine in Oklahoma City. So that's where he is. His adoption fee is $750. And he's, would you say this is black or dark brown? I think he looks pretty black and he's got four white socks and a high stocking in the back over his hawk. So that's why he's registered paint and they've applied for Pinto papers also. Um, But he's just so good looking. Yeah, he has a very sweet face. He's just a sweet face. He just—I mean—he looks adorable. He's just in great shape. He looks like he's four or five years old. You would not know this horse has age on him. He's just gorgeous. So but yet, I, when you said how old he was, I didn't believe it because he doesn't have the sway back like a lot of them do. He—he, uh, he, you know, he doesn't. He just—he looks younger. I would have guessed him at twelve or fourteen, somewhere in that range. So, Glenn, you know, is that how far is that from you? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good distance for me. Not too far from Jamie, though, I'll tell you that. So if you're you're in that area, it's Nexus Equine. We'll put a link directly to it in the show notes. He looks sound, too. I watched, looked at his video. He looks absolutely sound. So uh, there's a video on there that you can check out. If you're looking for a babysitter horse, this is probably the one. I I mean, babysitter for your husband. That's what I meant. Yes, yes. And up to date on Coggins vaccine, dental, farrier, worming microchipped everything so it's ready to go horse illustrated can be found at horseillustrated.com for special subscription discounts on horse illustrated and young rider magazine just for podcast listeners visit horseillustrated.com slash hrn and we did a lot of links in today's show from the lawyer to the yoga to everything so if you want to find those links just look in our show notes by the way you can find that by going to horseillustrated.com slash podcast or scroll left or right on your podcast player and you'll see the show notes pop up you can do it right there on your phone you can follow horses in the morning on facebook just search for horses in the morning and we have 21 shows here on the Horse Radio Network. So if you want to check out all the different variety of shows, you can go to horseradionetwork.com or get our app. We have an app with all the shows on it. Just search for Horse Radio Network in your app store. Happy reading and riding. 